This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me this evening is Mr. Matt Caraccio and Jeff Abercrombie. Before we get into the usual show, we do want to talk about the tragic loss that the fantasy community suffered this past weekend with the passing of Mike Tagliere. Everyone knew of Mike Tagliere, known by most as Tags from Fantasy Pros. He was battling COVID complications and was in the hospital for over the last month. And this Saturday, his wife posted a message on Twitter that shared sharing the heartbreaking news. And I know personally, Mike was somebody that over the last couple of years, I had developed a friendship with. He had been on Saturday, Sunday, I think three or the, the four past years. I had been on Fantasy Pros each of the last couple of years. And I know I was Apple picking with my family when I got the messages and, and sore. And, you know, it was really devastating to see that even though we knew he was sick and, we were still hoping and prayers and vibes that we've been sending, you know, since we knew he was in the hospital to see the news, I think was still very shocking. And I know it is a tragic loss to the entire fantasy community, our condolences, our sympathy, prayers and thoughts go out to his wife, Tabby, his two children and his entire family. Mike was one of those guys that I've met a lot of people since Saturday to Sunday started and I'm not sure I've ever met someone with more sincerity, more genuine, and more a passion for what he did. I know I often talk to him off air as long as we did on air when he did a podcast. I always knew he was so busy, so I always would tell him, we're going to kind of keep the show to 30, 35 minutes. I greatly appreciate your time. Yet we still ended up talking for 30, 35 minutes off air. That was just the kind of guy Mike was. And he was just on our show about a month ago, you know, a month before he went into the hospital, sometime early to mid-July, and he had just moved out to Tennessee. And we probably talked for like 30 minutes prior to the show started, just about our children and our families and his move. And he was one of those people that if I lived close to Mike, I could have seen him being a really good friend where my wife and I would hang out with his wife and him because he was just that kind of person that you just wanted to talk to, that there was just like this positive vibe around him. And he worked so hard in this industry and he he came from the bottom all the way up to being, you know, the face basically of fantasy pros. And I always would compliment him and talk to him about the primer that he did during the season was arguably as good of a piece of information and article of anything that was out there. And it was the only one out there that was completely free available for anybody to consume, you know, who didn't want to pay for a subscription. And it was really, if you read that you were, you were ready for the week. Like it was thousands upon thousands upon thousands of words. And it just showed the, the passion and the love that he had for this commute, for this sport and for what he did. And it's just a tragic loss for, for all of us, for the fantasy community as a whole. And obviously for his family, it was so great this week to see, the fantasy community rise up to try to do something to help his family. There's a GoFundMe page that fantasy pro started that's all over Twitter and the 
outpouring of love and support from fans, from other fantasy and uh, football institutions has been amazing to see. Um, so please, if you can in any way donate, uh, please do so to help his wife, help his, his, uh, he's got an older child and then a young child who's only four years old and, and, and the family, uh, anything that you can send w- would be greatly appreciated. And I know, uh, his entire family, uh, would greatly appreciate it. So we will miss him. I know I will miss him. He was always one of my favorite people to talk to in this community. And, uh, it, it's just a tough, it's a tough loss for, for everybody involved. Uh, Jeff, let me go to you first. I know we had talked a lot off air just, uh, you know, about, you know, hoping for him to return uh, to health and to be better and, you know, how much it, it kind of rocked our core a little bit. So any, anything that you want to share? When that news came across, um, I mean, I think I shared the same emotions that, Everybody did and just absolutely heartbroken and gutted. Um, I think it was shocking because of who Tags was. You know, he never quit. He was always working. He was always grinding. And he was just, I mean, he was a great guy. Like the types of things don't seem like they should happen to great guys like this. And with his work ethic and just, just who he was and how determined he was, to achieve his dreams. I, I just never thought it was actually a possibility. Um, even though it's, I mean, he, he fought long and hard, but, um, I, I think his impact on the, the fantasy scape is really, I mean, you you just, you saw it this weekend. I mean, the outpouring of love for him and for his family. I mean, you, you heard him on every show, all year round, you know, he was, I'm glad he got, I got, I'm glad he got to do this dream for a while. Um, he was, you know, if you, if you want to, if you want a role model for this space, if you want a role model for, you know, who you should follow, who should, you know, whose articles you should read, who's, I, I can't even, I can't picture a better person than, than what Mike Mike was, you know, and not just, I mean, for somebody whose drive took him to, like you said, the the face of fantasy pros took him to his dream. He didn't do it at the expense of his family. He was still there. Like, and, and his family, Tabby, just supporting him all the way through too. I feel so bad for them. I can't imagine the loss that she's feeling and, and just his family, his kids. And so please, I think, you know, I've, I think we've, you mentioned the GoFundMe is out there. I'm sure you can find it. I'm sure when we tweet the, when I tweet the link to this episode as it airs, I'll add a link to the GoFundMe on there as well. So please just, please donate if you can. Um, and we're just, we've lost some of the best of us in the fantasy space. It's, it's just a big hole that we're going to miss for a really long time. Yeah. I mean, he, he was like, gotta had the passion and the energy that, 
you just felt it. And he, and like I said before, he was just so genuine and sincere. He was a career change. He wanted in this so bad and he never took it for granted. Once he got here, he just worked and worked and continued to work. And he had the support of his family and he was there for his family. You know, I, I know I was friends with him on Facebook as well. And I would see him, you know, taking his son to like a monster truck show or a car show. Like he was, he was always there. Like he, even as much as he put into the fantasy world and football, it didn't come at the expense, like you said, of anything else. He is what anyone who wants to get into this, in, you know, industry should inspire to do, to have that balance, but have the passion and energy to do what he did for fantasy, but also for his wife and his children and always took the time for anybody, whether you were a big name in the industry or whether you were just starting out like Saturday, Sunday, we weren't a big name. He didn't have to come on this show. He came on the show. He didn't have to bring me on fantasy pros. They could have got plenty of big name guests that were bigger than, than, than who we are here when we first started, but he, he that didn't matter to him. He, 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 he saw the grind that we did here and he knew the, the, the passion and, and he probably said that's similar to the passion and energy I have. So he he didn't care about Twitter followers or popularity. He he was looking for somebody who had that same drive, who had that same passion and energy. So he was willing to go out of his way for people just breaking into this industry. And I think that just speaks on the type of character that he had. Matt, let me shoot it over to you. I don't think you ever had the opportunity when he came on our show to to be on with us, if I remember correctly. Uh, but I just know, you know, in me sharing with you, you know, what type of person he was when he came on the shows. And then obviously you just seeing him in this industry and in this space, you know, you, you've kind of felt like you kind of knew him as a little bit as well. Yeah, I mean, I, it's hard to build off of everything that you gentlemen just shared. I mean, to your point, Paul. I never really had the pleasure of getting to know him on a personal level. However, the impact of the contributions that he did make into the community were just as meaningful to me, probably as anything else. I mean, when you talk about, as Jeff stated so eloquently, like the a role model, somebody that you try to emulate, that work-life balance, that ability to put together outstanding content, but also willing to live an outstanding life. Um, that That's something that I, I think we're all, we're all continuously striving to, to kind of meet the challenge of in our own worlds. And I, I know for whatever reason, you know, I, I had not had the opportunity to speak to Mike, you know, like we said on a personal level, however, um, his wife's tweets, you know, throughout this entire uh, situation and ordeal really kind of really spoke to me. And I, I was trying to constantly stay engaged, just sending those good vibes and those well wishes, because I know for me, knowing that there's somebody else out there acknowledging struggles and what I'm going through was, was meaningful and, and it always helps me. And, and it, it was, it was a really, it's just really been a challenging couple of like, weeks. It's been a challenging few weeks. It's been a challenging month since this all began. And I mean, to say my, my condolences go out to the family or, or anything to that effect. I, for me, I, I wish I could do more. And, you know, as you guys had already mentioned, the GoFundMe page, anything that you can do to help 
their family to to help them at least find you know some peace um, or or some opportunity to move forward. I, I know it it would be more than more than generous to do, um, but I don't know. It's it very rarely my loss for words, but this was something that although I didn't know him well, it still has left a profound mark on me. And this is a situation where I think it reminded me of the importance of the work-life balance and family that, that I need to have in this world and how much more, and how much more I have to stop, take time and, and remind myself that, you know, tomorrow's never promised. I have to make sure that I live every day to its fullest and I have to make sure every moment counts. So, you know, Mike, wherever you are, you know, for whatever it's worth, you spoke to me without even speaking to me. And I wish you nothing but, you know, an eternity of peace. And, and I wish everything to your family as well. Um, Paul, I, I you know, it, it was, you know, super challenging and, and I'm still trying to make to make sense of it. Um, if, if that even <laughs> if that can even make sense, I'm still trying to make sense of it. Um, but his work is something that continues to inspire me and his and his and his way of doing and his way of being in the industry is something that I continue to aspire to meet. Yeah. And I think you said it there really profoundly, like, you know, take nothing for granted. He, he was a, he was a 39 year old man. I'm 39 years old. You know, Matt, we're, we all have young children here. Like, you know, take the fantasy stuff out of it. Like just take the, that part of it and, and, and really hold that as, is is where I've had the most struggles with. Right. Because it's like, he's no different than us, right? It could have been any one of us who could have battled this. And we all have young children and, and we all have wives and, and we all have our lives that, that we lead. And it, it could have been any of us. And it, it shows you to not take for granted what we have and not take for granted the now. And as life gets crazy and, and things are, are chaotic and hectic in the household and, and careers and et cetera, et cetera, you know, to, to always remember that, you know, nothing's promised. Anything could happen, right? Accidents could happen. Health issues can pop up, you know, and this is just a reminder of that to live to the fullest. Um, Sigmund Bloom and Cecil Lammy, they had a great tribute to, to end their uh, Sunday night or Monday morning recap show about, you know, like chasing your dreams. And, and that's really what Mike did to, to get in this space. And I think it, it, it's profound for people to look at that and use him as motivation to, if you were in a career you don't like and you want to get into the football or fantasy community, you can do it. He's proof that hard work can pay off and treating people the right way can pay off. And I think those are the lessons that long after he's gone, we're still going to be talking about in the fantasy community. His name and his legacy is going to live on for quite some time. And it's not going to just be forgotten because he, Chris Mike passed. And I think that's something that speaks of him, his character, how much he impacted people, whether they knew him personally or not. And, you know, how much he impacted this, uh, the community and the people in the community, as we've seen everyone rise up and do what they can uh, to help his family. And I, I think it speaks volumes. So I know Mike would want us to keep doing what we're doing and his passion and love of this game 
was so high and he would want us here at Saturday Sunday, just like the guys over at Fantasy Pros and all the, the fantasy sites to keep doing what we're doing, to keep pushing hard, to keep grinding because that's what he did and that's what he would want. So there's no easy transition from talking about what we just talked about here for the first 15 minutes, but we're going to, we're going to do our best to, to transition to the regular show, the, the draft report, the dynasty slant report, the NFL rookie report and the dynasty fantasy report. Uh, like we always do, uh, you know, each week during the, the college football season. So with that said, this, this week, this past week in, in college football, not a lot of, major matchups that I think had a lot of scouting and draft implications, but there was a couple of things guys that, that I thought were intriguing. Uh, Malik Willis of Liberty had an opportunity to play, you know, a, a big time opponent in Syracuse, relatively speaking compared to the level of opponents that Liberty sometimes faces. And he really showed well, 14 of 19, 205 passing yards, three touchdowns, another 50 yards, He's got 10 touchdowns and four rushing touchdowns already. And this was a guy that, you know, when I watched in the summer, I came away very impressed. Like to me, you know, we saw Jalen Hurts go in the second round and, you know, Alabama, Oklahoma, I get it. But, but pure talent alone, I think Malik Willis is a better talent. I think he's a, I think he's a better passer for sure. I think he is potentially more dynamic as a runner. And we've talked a lot over the last couple of weeks about the inconsistencies and struggles of the quarterbacks who were expected or are expected to go in the top 10 of this draft, Sam Howell, Spencer Rattler. I think Malik Willis has an opportunity. The door is now ajar for guys like Malik Willis. And we talked about him last week, so we won't get him to him tonight. And Matt Corral. I think the door is open for these guys that I don't think this is a clear two-horse race anymore at the top of the draft with just Sam Howell and Spencer Rattler. I think Malik Willis is shown that he he's going to he's gonna push his way into the mix, and I think Matt Corral is as well, like we talked about last week, because Spencer Rattler, another very shaky game. I mean, Oklahoma scored 16 points against West Virginia, 16 points. Oklahoma's supposed to drop a 40 spot, 50 spot on that. And Rattler was a very ho-hum, 256 yards, one touchdown and one interception. So he's not having this monster Heisman-type season that I think most people expected. We talked about Sam Howell struggles. So I think the door is now very much open for Malik Willis. Any thoughts on on Willis from, from either of you guys? Jeff, I'll, maybe I'll come over to you first. Yeah, I liked... Um... I liked Willis's game this last weekend, and um, I don't think he's a complete prospect. Um, I think, you know, similar to how we've talked about, you know, what players do well, you know, with respect to maybe Zach Wilson coming in and rolling out and attacking the sidelines, I didn't see a lot of um, layered throws over the middle, um, but he's really good at hitting the whole shot down the sidelines. He's got a really good deep ball. Um, he was under pressure a lot that game. He did take a few sacks for sure, but um, he also evaded a lot of pressure. Um, he's got more upside in his legs than you saw on the stat line. Um, so I, overall, I, I mean, I was really impressed, and I do think he's – I think in some circles he was in at least you know a footnote in the conversation for one of the top quarterbacks – 
uh, in the 2022 NFL draft before the season started. And I think like, as, as your point with Howell and Rattler still working through the development of their game, you know, Malik Willis is doing a pretty good job making a case for, you know, himself. I, I don't know that any of these guys still rival, you know, a top five pick that, you know, we'd see in a lot of other years, especially this, this 2021 class. But um, so I don't know if we're going to see, you know, a lot of quarterbacks go top five, top 10, unless there's just a needy and desperate NFL teams driving up that demand. But I would, I still think there'd be a lot of opportunity for several quarterbacks to get picked in the mid and late end of the first round. And, and I think Malik Willis could be one of the first ones there, you know, at least with the trajectory of things with the way they are now. Yeah. I mean, I think he's a very intriguing prospect. He's got a lot of raw traits. He's got a lot of developmental upside. And I think where we're starting to see if the quarterbacks who came out last year are having struggles and need a lot of development right now, then for sure we have to put into perspective what guys like Spencer Rattler, Sam Howell, Malik Willis, Matt Corral may face when they come into the league. And I think we have to start to put, and I'm going to actually talk a little bit more about these expectations that we put on these guys a little bit more when we get to the dynasty fantasy report a little bit later, because I I do think, you know, I did a little bit of like self-evaluation this week and I actually did some pretty significant changes in my, in my dynasty rankings, uh, you know, after, after thinking about this for a little bit as well. So it's something I'll come back to a little bit later. Uh, Matt, one other name I want to bring up that, you know, we, we've talked a little bit about UCLA and they've kind of turned the corner this year. And this week they, they, they beat Stanford and they've had a couple, you know, impressive, uh, games here. Obviously they beat, you know, that LSU game, uh, when they won 38 27 as well. But Dorian Thompson Robinson is a name that I remember years ago you talking about him when he, you know, played in like, I think the high school all star game and very athletic kid. And this year, you know, this past week, 251 yards and two touchdowns against Stanford. That game against LSU that I referenced, you know, from earlier in the year, he had 260 yards and three touchdowns. So he may have never lived up to the hype that he had when he first came in. But I feel like he's really kind of surging at the right moment now. And with the way the NFL is more open to different style quarterbacks now than they were once upon a time, there might be an opportunity for him to at least get an opportunity to be a backup quarterback. And then who knows, right. With those athletic traits. So, so any thoughts on on Thompson Robinson? Because I know he's a guy that you've kind of been following, you know, for most of his collegiate career, because you, you know, you watch him so much, you know, from when he was a high school, you know, coming into the, the college game. Yeah, no, Dorian Thompson, you know, Dorian Thompson Robinson, DTR was a guy out of, you know, modern day who really didn't get his first start until I believe it was like his senior year at modern day. He was always the backup quarterback. And, um, you know, he surged again at the right time to really kind of garner that really widespread, high valued recruiting spot that he ended up taking over. But he was he was everything as advertised in high school. He was what you wanted to see from you know, this kind of modern quarterback kind of mold that we keep casting or recasting every year, which is this mobile kind of off structure, lively arm type of player, 
you know, with that cerebral side to be able to maybe take that next step and being, you know, that kind of meticulous kind of precision type of player. And he goes to UCLA and, you know, it looks like the writing's on the wall that he's going to be getting the job and, you know, here comes Chip Kelly and what will that mean? And he's going to, you know, he's absolutely going to explode. I mean, imagine what Chip can do with him. I mean, Marcus Mariota and players like that, you're, you're thinking like, you're thinking all the amazingness that could occur. And to be honest with you, it never really kind of came to fruition. You know, Thompson Robinson was still very much developing and he still had a lot of work to do in terms of being that kind of field general that you were looking for at the position. And you're right. I followed him very closely because the tools, the tools and overall skill at the position was, was, was potential was very there coming out of high school, but he never put it together really in college. Now, very similar to Matt Corral, that kind of non-linear developmental path that we talked about in the last episode. We see that we see that kind of new plateau that he's beginning to reach as a player. And to your point, Paul, opportunistic is the right word. He is certainly surging at the right time. And I also think there's going to be, you know, a very significant market for him, you know, in the NFL, regardless if he's a potential starter or even slated as being, you know, a backup um, for, you know, a team somewhere in the near future. I mean, look at Davis Mills right now. Look at what he's doing. He was a third round pick, you know, look at what players of that. I mean, Taylor Heineke, who I really liked out of old dominion, I believe Um, he was a a really interesting quarterback, but Heineke was a guy that he he was, you know, he didn't really have the pedigree. Wasn't really putting it together. Really kind of played the back of look look at Heineke's doing right. I mean, I mean, look at Heineke. Everybody's like, Oh man, I don't know if, I don't know if, I don't know if Fitzgerald's going to have Fitzpatrick's going to really have his job. I mean, we're talking about things like that. I mean, these are the types of things that are happening if you're not in the top five to eight quarterbacks in the league. So I think there's opportunistic, you know, there's opportunity galore. I think teams are willing to go with whatever field general can make the offense flow. And I don't think they really care anymore. I think unless you're that, you know, quintessential top five to eight quarterback who's slated to save the franchise, I think you're going to see more and more teams especially in this draft class where there isn't really anybody standing out. I could see them taking a player, a quarterback, maybe at the beginning of the second, right? End of the second, middle of the second. I could see a lot of second round quarterbacks happening in this arena. And you could see maybe some of these teams that are really kind of still figuring it out. Maybe give Dorian Thompson Robinson a little burn in camp. See how it goes. Why don't you go and get that job? And, and he could be one of the players that ends up emerging out of the blue. He has that ability. So I I don't want to sit here and tell you he's going to be the next, you know, he's not the next Russell Wilson. He's not the next Baker Mayfield. He's not a guy that I'm, I'm saying he's slated for stardom. But he did have the tools coming out of high school that made me think that those potentialities were there. And for that, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see where he goes from here. Yeah, I mean, think about this. A good comp for a guy like him might be, P.J. Walker had a great collegiate career, and correct me if I'm wrong, it was the XFL that he used then as his catalyst to get back into the NFL, and now he's a backup quarterback for the Carolina Panthers. He's one Sam Darnold injury away from having Christian McCaffrey, you know, Robert, you know, Anderson, you know, Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, all those guys at his disposal. So it shows you that 
there's not this clear path sometimes. Sometimes they got to go around, but a guy like P.J. Walker shows you that the league is more open to not just crossing guys out because they're 5'10 or 5'11 or, or whatever, some number anymore, or they're not the best pure passer. They're more athlete who plays quarterback. The NFL is open to that now, especially for backups, you know, and maybe even in some instances in starters, if you build an offense around the guy. So Jeff, I know there was a quarterback that you wanted to, to talk about before we got off a of quarterback. So, so share to share some, uh, the news. So just to throw it on people's radar here, uh, Jake Hayner, if you didn't get a chance, I'm, I'm a Fresno boy. I'm from Fresno. So uh, Jake Hayner, quarterback out of Fresno State University, um, just a classic of a college football game two weekends ago, Fresno State versus UCLA, where they pulled out a, a win and, and kind of got up in the rankings um, with a gutty, gutty, gritty performance. Um, I mean, it looked like Hayner had cracked ribs and he could barely twist his body and he was chucking dimes down the field off down the sideline. So, you know, I talked about how I was impressed with uh, Malik Willis and, and, you know, his ability to kind of hit the hole in the sideline and, and um, get a couple good accuracy downfield balls. Um, so Jet Hainers uh, last week, UNLV um, slow start for Fresno state. He, he pulled them back to the win five touchdowns, 30 of 42, uh, 378 yards, you know, he's a high accuracy quarterback. He's got really good ball placement. Um, definitely has a good rapport with his wide receivers there. You know, they're up there catching in those 50-50 balls, but he's also putting them like right where his receivers are there to win it. So just really impressive ball placement there. So he's a pocket passer mold of a quarterback, um, maybe average to above average arm strength, but, you know, really nice spiral, really nice ball, really pretty throw, really great accuracy and, and, decision-making down the field and just a tough, gritty quarterback. So have him on your radar. Um, I, I think he's the best quarterback Fresno, Fresno State has had since at least Derek Carr. Um, Derek Carr was a high second-round pick. I think Hayner could be playing himself into a top 100 pick, um, especially as, you know, depending on what, how we see some of those other names kind of, not Rattler or not, but um, the, you know, whether it's like the Graham Mertz or, you know, the uh, Brock Purdy's whatnot, you know, as maybe they fail to make a case to be selected early in the draft. Um, someone like Hayner may fill in and take their spot. Yeah, I do think this is the year. This is the year that you can see somebody emerge who's been off the radar. I think that's where we're trending right now based on some inconsistency, based on some players not developing maybe as much as we thought or not taking that next step or struggling. Uh, I think the door is open for some, for some guys to maybe emerge that, that we're not, we're not talking about before the season started. A couple other names I'm going to bring here up here in the NFL draft report, and then I'll send it back to you guys. If there's maybe one guy that you, that you want to talk about uh, at the running back position, we haven't talked about him, but he's a guy that is who I do think has a day two skill set, And that's Donovan Knight out of NC state. This week, past weekend, uh, NC State upset Clemson. You have a great statistical game, 27 carries for 79 yards, but he has had a, a you know one game this year, 163 yards and a touchdown, another game, 104 yards and a touchdown. I think he's one of those guys that's in the mix after the, the top guys of Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller. I think he's kind of in that next mix, right? You know, some team, one team might look at Darren Ely and like his skill set. Another team might look at Kyron Williams, but I think Zonovan Knight is kind of in that mix that he can be 
be somewhere as a late second or third round pick, you know, and if, if by some reason all the running backs get pushed down an early day three guy, but you know, we see round three seems to have been a sweet spot lately for running backs. You know, I think Zonovan Knight has that skill set. Uh, Brees Hall just mentioned him before. He finally had a monster breakout game with 190 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Texas A&M struggled this past weekend, but Isaiah Spiller still got 95 yards and a touchdown. I like Colin Spiller. It'll be interesting to kind of see if those guys push their way into round one, or we're looking more like top of round two, like the, year with Jonathan Taylor and and then J.K. Dobbins went a little bit later and and that class, you know, DeAndre Swift. I kind of feel like this might be trending towards Hall and Spiller kind of kicking off the first five to ten picks in round two than being round one guys, um, you know, especially after we've seen some round one guys kind of not live up to expectations. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, you know, isn't living up to expectations. Talk more about him later. Rashad Penny, you know, even Najee Harris right now you're seeing behind a poor offensive line. You can't just draft a rookie and put him in and expect him to be productive on the ground, right? Lots of things. So it'll be interesting to see. There's always teams maybe in late round one that have the luxury to draft the running back, but it'll be interesting to see if those guys push. Uh, Zach Charbonnet, we talked about him a couple weeks ago, another big game, 118 yards and a touchdown, five catches and 57 yards, showing some versatility there. Uh, Tyler Algier at a BYU had a monster statistical season last year with Zach Wilson there. He's definitely found the rushing lanes to be less without that quarterback play. Uh, but he had a decent week this week, 81 yards and two touchdowns. I think he's more of like a round four, round five type player. Uh, Justin Ross, who we've talked about a little bit about, about trying to round back into form. Clemson with another horrific offensive game this past week, but Justin Ross looked the best we've seen in a while. Eight catches, 77 yards, and two touchdowns. So those are a couple other names that I kind of wanted to throw out there. Jeff, let me maybe bring it uh, over to you first. Is there one guy that I mentioned there, and then Matt will come right over to you next, that that you want to share something on of those guys? Yeah, I mean, I mentioned last week how, you know, I'm looking forward to the buildup of Justin Ross. So nice job. Let's keep going. <laughs> but uh, I want to take my my time on uh, Tyler Algier because um, you're right. You know, when watching the, the Zach Wilson film from 2020, you know, it was a slightly different offense. Um, they're still a really good team. BYU played extraordinarily well. They came, um, but Algier specifically um, impressed me with a couple, you know, really patient um, and strong runs through uh, traffic, through contact. Um, and so, you know, it just, to me, that's sometimes a little bit more impressive than, you know, hitting open lanes um, and trying to take it to the, take open lanes to the house than, you know, when you can actually beat, make linebackers, you know, have incidental contact or run through reaches from a D lineman. Um, And I saw a lot of that on his film this last weekend. So nice job, uh, Algier. Yeah. So he's, he's an interesting name because like, you know, like, I don't think he's solely a product of the system. I liked, I thought he had some intriguing skill sets. So he's going to be a guy that once he starts getting just kind of graded and evaluated on his own merit, I think people are going to be surprised that he, he's really like a bulldozer and a bowling ball out there, like, and just bouncing off guys and delivering punishment. So he's an intriguing player for sure. So let's take this right to the Debbie slant report for this week. A couple of guys I want to make note of if, 
Zach Evans, because he plays for TCU, is not getting the love in, in your Devi leagues. I think you got to go aggressively get him. He, you know, running back out of TCU, I think he's going to be a guy that's going to be a guy that we're talking about as potentially a top 50, top 80 type player. Uh, I think he's got the skill set that that's going to be intriguing. And he's a guy that I just don't feel like he's getting a lot of attention. Uh, Marvin Mims is a guy who is getting a lot of attention, was talked up a lot, you know, before the season started. And he is really struggling with kind of that whole Oklahoma offense right now. And he's not been living up to the hype. And then Keishan Booth out of LSU, four catches, 85 yards and two touchdowns. I think the question now is, and I know I brought this up last week, you know, if Michael Mayer should have been tight end one in Devi, should we have one the either Ohio State receiver or should, even though he's a year away, should Booty be wide receiver one in Devi? I think it's a legitimate, interesting question to kind of say, like, do we take the immediate? Because I do think the Ohio State guys have high ceilings, but maybe not as high as him. So how does that – I think it's a more philosophical question with – awaiting a year away against closer availability in terms of, you know, in NFL, but is his ceiling high enough that you're willing to wait that? I think those were a couple of things that I thought were kind of interesting. Matt, you want to jump in here? If you have any thoughts on Zach Evans, feel free. If not, you know, the, the conversation about the wide receivers, you know, booty compared to the Ohio state guys, is, do you have a preference in them in terms of Debbie leagues? And, and thoughts on Marvin Mims, maybe as a player in general, not so much about his slow start, but anything you want to share on him? Yeah, I mean, let, let's talk about, you know, Kayshawn Boot. I mean, Booty is is one of those guys that, you know, he's had the steady rise. The drum roll's been going since, you know, he came out of high school. And, I mean, honestly, you can't really disagree with a lot that you've seen so far. He's done nothing but prove himself on the biggest stage of college football in the SEC. And, he keeps getting better and better. And, and I think as of right now, you know, I mean, you remind yourself that he was about a six foot, 185 pounds coming out. And, you know, here he is just on, like I said, on a big stage, you know, as this, you know, four star, five star prospect, just kind of showing out. And uh, he's got to be the guy that if you don't own, you should own. And I think that him along with Rakeem Jarrett, I think we got to keep his name around. Rakeem Jarrett out of Maryland is a player that you have to remember at the wide receiver position. Um, we've talked about Jackson Smith and Najiba as well, as you said already, Paul, out of Ohio State. Um, and then, you know, as you go kind of a little deeper into that class, you know, you already spoke about Marvin Mims and those players. And then you have, you know, guys that are, are really all over this class at the wide receiver position. I happen to believe that Bouti should be the guy that you're clamoring for as of right now, if he's not already owned. And then after that, Rakeem Jarrett would be the guy I would be going after. I think Jackson Smith and Jiva, as much as we like him, uh, I think the, the, the route running and the clarity of where he will sit within that NFL spectrum of wide receiver is still a little bit something to uh, study and behold. So he's a player that I'm still actively watching. I was excited for him. Um, as a player to get the burn he's been getting. But I think Booty for sure is the guy to, to focus on. And, you know, Paul, when you look at 
start looking at the other, you know, positional areas in this particular class, you know, I still think the, 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 the area to pillage, if you're going to go after some, you know, some 2023 type of guys, guys that are kind of rising and guys that you got to be aware of. I don't think it's the wide receiver position. I still think it's the running back position. I think you got to go after Bijan Robinson and Tank Bisbee and Jameer Gibbs. And as you already said, Zach Evans, Jace McClellan, these are the guys that you got to be kind of paying attention to. And I, I think that's where the value is right now in terms of going after players. Even you can even remark that, you know, you can even remark right now that at the tight end position, you know, Michael Mayer is the guy that if he's not somehow owned, um, I think he showed this past weekend against Wisconsin that he is very much a Travis Kelsey esque type of player to to kind of behold. And I kind of see him falling into that light a little bit, play, you know, a little bit crazier. So I didn't answer anything that you asked me. Instead, I just made up my own kind of like discussion. <laughs> so um, no, no, no. I mean, I, I kind of roundabout got to a lot of that Debbie content because I, I do think that it's a really tough class right now. It's a very tough group of guys to kind of figure out. You have a lot of guys that are on the precipice of being potentially taking that next step into being a prospect at the NFL level. And then you have some guys that are that are still just kind of, you know, hanging around. I think the wide receiver position is a little hard to gauge right now. Bouti being the standout guy, Rakeem Jarrett, Rakeem Jarrett, Paul, you got, I'm going to be honest with you. He right now, he's got a little bit more of that. He has a little bit more of that unrefined Kadarius Tony feel, you know, still developing as a player overall, but you could see it happening in, in, in waves. So, I mean, there's a lot of optimism there, but the running back position for sure is, is where you're kind of going, going full hog, into to see how it goes so once again i think i i think i answered none of your questions and maybe two of them <laughs> well i think you hit on the guys and and right that's really the thing you talked about the wide receivers you talked about who you would be looking to get i think the i think the the, the question always looms and i think a lot of people who maybe are new to devi struggle with it as well and it's not all that different than the conversation jeff and i had about just dynasty in terms of youth verse of right now and i think in the devi it's a little bit different but i think it's the same idea can be kind of discussed of how much how much do you put stock do we put into guys who are draft eligible now compared to guys who are draft eligible a year away right and i think that's something that's an interesting debate because yeah booty may be the guy with the most talent and upside the wide receiver position but I don't think, for me anyway, I don't think his talent supersedes Garrett Wilson enough for me to prefer him to Garrett Wilson right now. And I know Garrett Wilson is going to be available in next year's draft, and we got to wait another year. Now, somebody else might have a different approach. To me, it's one of those things that if a guys are close enough on talent, I'm always going to lean towards the guys who are closer. I think you made an interesting point, though. While I say that about the wide receivers, my feelings about the running backs are different, right? I've talked about Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller, and I like them. But to me, there's a there's a talent, a little bit of a talent disparity between Brees Hall and Isaiah Spiller and what I think B. John Robinson or maybe Tank Bigsby can be, especially B. John Robinson, that maybe I would be willing to kind of wait off a year, especially since running backs are such a short lifespan, what we're looking for, that I, I would say – maybe holding off for them is more valuable than, than the guys right now. 
Well, and, and forgive me, I don't, I don't mean to to pre- impress, but I, I do, I do agree with you. There, Booty should not be somebody that you are sacrificing Garrett Wilson for. I just want to make sure we're clear on that. Garrett Wilson is not a player I'm taking Booty over Garrett Wilson. The intention being that if Garrett Wilson, in my opinion, is now unavailable, not already taken. You know, Garrett Wilson by far to me and, and Chris Olave, those guys that are draft eligible, those guys that will be coming into the NFL, those guys that, in my opinion, um, are, are better than anything Booty can put on the field right now. Yeah, you were sure. talking guys, you were talking guys non-draft eligible. I understood that. Yeah, yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad you kind of prefaced it because the listeners maybe did, maybe didn't understand it. I, I, I heard based on the other names you were talking about that they were all guys, right? You brought up Jared and, and and Jackson Smith and those guys that I knew what you were talking about. But I think sometimes, you know, sometimes new people to Debbie in particular, I think sometimes, you know, trying to balance that who's available upcoming, you know, again, it all depends on how deep the Debbie is compared to what's in the woodworks, you know, I, I think it, it, it is a challenge for some people or if it's a startup Debbie, you know, that people jump into, I think it's unique in terms of what you're trying to target. And it's not just maybe now is not the time for a startup that Debbie, but maybe next off season. And then we're having the same debate, right? The guys who are draft eligible, the guys who are a year away. I, I think that's my philosophy is if the talent disparity is, it's close. Give me the guy who's closer to being draft eligible. If the talent disparity is wider, then I want, then I'd rather wait a year, especially if it's at the running back position. So interesting conversations there. These guys obviously be on our radar, you know, throughout this season and definitely, you know, leading into their draft eligible year for sure. So let's take this to the NFL rookie report for this week. Uh, we mentioned it last week. It's not getting better yet for the rookie quarterbacks. You know, Trevor Lawrence uh, looking dreadful for Jacksonville. Two interceptions, bad plays, thrown off his back shoulder, uh, back foot, uh, bad decision making. Justin Fields with as bad of a first performance you can see. Uh, not that Chicago put him in a a good position to succeed. They didn't have any design rollouts. They didn't have any design runs. They kind of just handed him the Andy Dalton offense and said, "Good luck." Uh, that led to a six for 20 for 68 yards and nine sack performance. Uh, Mac Jones threw the ball 51 times. I don't think New England wants to be doing that. Uh, God help New England this week with Tom Brady coming off a loss and the Buccaneers going to Foxborough. Uh, that's going to be fun Sunday night. How many points Brady and, and Gronkowski look to score against uh, the Patriots? Uh, Zach Wilson, I mean, Listen, we all like all three of us. I think we're pretty much in uniform unison with Zach Wilson, right? We like the tools. There was a lot of tools to like about him, but we all talked about there was a lot of development and concerns that were also out there. And now, and I'm not saying he's going to be a bust or anything. I'm not making anything on a couple games, but you're seeing all those concerns, right? Coverages, reading defenses. You know, Jeff, you brought up last time his uncomfortableness thrown in the middle of the football field. You're seeing it all right now behind a porous offensive line, a lacking playmakers, you know, just a really bad team. And you're seeing Zach Wilson, like every time you watch the game, I feel like there could be anywhere between two and six interceptions in terms of his decision-making and and his processing what's going on right now. So the quarterbacks right now, I will say this though, I don't think anybody's going to get antsy yet, 
but I would definitely, definitely just touch base with the Trevor Lawrence owner, with the Justin Fields owner. Uh, I don't think anybody's going to come off of Trey Lance right now just because we haven't seen him. I don't know. I never thought Zach Wilson or Mac Jones were going to be top eight, top 10 fantasy guys. So I don't know if I would touch base with those owners just yet. But I definitely think Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, I would touch base with their owners and just make sure that they're not like, oh, wow. Like, and make sure they're still valuing them at the price they took. Because we've been talking how long about this quarterback class coming up already, right? I don't care how bad they go so far this year. Give me Trevor Lawrence. Give me Justin Fields over anybody that's coming out. So if you knew you had a quarterback, right? If, if if you are a guy who says, oh, man, I'm trying to get by this year with, you know, whoever, like an older quarterback that, you know, Matt Ryan and, and Ben Roethlisberger are my two quarterbacks in Dynasty, and I desperately need to upgrade there, and I couldn't get somebody this year, you know, and, and you were targeting next year's draft, right? Maybe late, you know, first round or early second with a rookie pick. I would touch base with the owner. I would, I would, I would definitely touch base with the owner and make some offers on Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and make sure they're not panicking yet. Real quick, guys, any thoughts on the quarterbacks, their struggles, buy low opportunity, uh, long term concerns? Real quick, anything? Uh, Jeff, let me go to you first. It was really tough to watch the Chicago Bears <laughs> against the Browns. Um, you, we mentioned it, you mentioned it for Wilson that, you know, he's struggling. We saw those issues come up, you know, with his environment really struggling. We have to be fair and say a lot of the same for Justin Fields right now. I mean, you know, maybe Matt, you know, maybe there's some, some glimmers in there that you were able to glean from that game where, you know, your steadfast belief is going to be able to like shine, lead us through with a banner. Please tell me. Um, I, I still have faith in Justin Fields, but you know, there he he didn't have clean tape, right? Coming through there, he was he had all the tools that you want in a franchise quarterback, but there were still things that you'd look for him to clean up coming into you know a pro NFL prospect, and so and I think we saw a little bit of that. You know, holding on to the ball a little bit. Um, I'm glad he didn't throw any picks. I don't think. Hit, I don't think Nagy did him any favors. The offensive line, certainly. I think um, I, I, there were a couple stats that just didn't make sense. One that uh, Cleveland rushers, you know, or or when Justin Fields is behind the ball, the opposing defensive line got to him in less than a second, and his time to throw seven eight seconds. It was point seven yep. eight seconds. I don't know who held that stopwatch. Yeah. And then, and yeah, I think that's a generous estimate, right? I think it was a yeah. little less than that. And then his, his time to, you know, time holding the ball in the backfield, you know, it was like 4.5. So then you're saying he's holding the ball on too long, but if the, if his, if the offensive linemen aren't winning their, you know, aren't winning their matchups for, you got to be able to hold it for two, two and a half seconds at minimum. So if that's not even happening, you know, Justin Fields is actually, he's creating, you know, two and a half, three seconds himself back there. It's just that there's also nobody to throw to because they're all within five or 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, just bracketed and bubbled underneath. And there's linebackers in the throwing lanes. And it just, oh man, it it wasn't hard to watch because it was Justin Fields. It was hard to watch because I was so excited to watch Justin Fields and there just was nothing 
supporting around him. At some point, at some point, I don't even know that Patrick Mahomes, you know, we saw Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl struggle, right? Like if the system around you is failing, you're there's not much you can do. And just cross my fingers that I understand why, you know, Na- uh, Matt Nagy was a little bit reluctant to throw Justin Fields out there week one or early. It's probably because um, his system sucks. <laughs> And it's just going to, you don't want to ruin Justin Fields. Um, and it might be personnel limited, right? If the offensive line is having tr- struggles and whatnot, it might be personnel limited too. But um, but I can kind of understand it that way. And, um, you know, Detroit Lions this week, if he's playing, um, let's see a, see a bounce back. You got this, Justin. You got it. Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I do think it was a little bit of malpractice them not putting him in better si- situations. Their supporting cast especially their O-line, it's poor. But I think you said it right. Like, I don't think Matt Nagy's a very good coach. And I don't think – I think he is coaching to try to save his job by not playing Justin Fields right now. Like, almost like if he stretches it out as long as possible, maybe he buys himself another year because he could be like, oh, Fields is going to be ready for next year and he's our guy. And But, I mean – what they showed on the field this past week was disgraceful. And the fact that they weren't calling RPOs and and the fact that it was the exact same playbook basically as what Andy Dalton runs just shows you that you're not prepared and you didn't, you knew the time was going to come for Justin Fields to take over. You should have a completely separate playbook. You really should have. And that's what good coaches would do in a situation like this, when your starter and your, you know, your backup, who's your future is going to be a completely different style player. Matt, any thoughts on on the quarterbacks, whether it's Fields or or Lawrence, or, you know, you were shaking your head in, in agreement when I was saying, you know, try to go buy these guys in a league. If somebody is having, you know, early concerns. So let's talk about Fran Tarkington. No, I'm sorry. I'm not going to go off script this time. Um, So I would absolutely 100% be giving up my first round pick for Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. I could care less. I, that's how confident I am that these guys will get it worked out. Um, I am a little bit scared as Jeff alluded to, to the threat of malpractice within the organizations that they currently reside that those could all go awry and I could end up throwing a first round pick down the drain. However, I do think that these guys, to to your point earlier, Paul, I, I do believe they are what we claim them to be, which is those unicorns and generational type of quarterbacks that they will have a very long leash. You're not going to tell me for the next few years, um, even as you go way down the channel, that you're going to find better prospects in the mill, you know, than than Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields. So for me, they have quite a bit of time I would easily fork over a first round pick for either one of them if I were you know having a, a quarterback right now that's basically using duct tape and you know duct tape and Bengay to get through the season those are the guys that I'm, I'm happily trading for so yeah I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna keep myself true north and I'm gonna stick with Justin Fields and you know I think it's gonna all work out and and you know what I'm more excited about Trevor Lawrence getting Dan Arnold than maybe some other people maybe because I think O'Shaughnessy was a player that he kind of relied on just to kind of get him out of trouble from a passing perspective. Um, not that there aren't players that are equal, if not better, but you know what? You saw it with Daniel Jones, right? This past weekend, Paul, right? A little Colin Johnson action. 
all you lovers out there, Colin Johnson, mm-hmm. a little loving action there. Um, big targets, big targets can sometimes be a big blanket of comfort, regardless of who they are. Could be a tight end, could be a wide receiver. And as of right now, you know, you look at what Trevor Lawrence is dealing with right now. Who, who's really that big dude, right? I mean, you got, you don't really have that big bodied player right now. He lost all of his tight ends basically. So, you know, there's, there's opportunities abound here. I do hope that they do not get rid of uh, Justin Fields. I do hope he holds on to this job right now. I do hope they let him play through it. Um, I do hope that that alone will, will inspire Matt Nagy to save his job because you have the talent there. Um, just, just let Allen Robinson be Allen Robinson for God's sakes too. Just let him be that good. He's that good. Like, I mean, like you don't have to really like reinvent the playbook here. Allen Robinson, go out there and get open. Like, I mean, like, there you go. Like, like, like let's here, let's coach it. Allen Robinson, get open. Okay. And I mean, I just think, throw it, throw it, throw it to him. I mean, like, I think, there you go. I think the, the one big thing that we got to hope for is that these, Lack thereof supporting cast, porous offensive lines, porous coaching. We just have to hope that they don't ruin these guys, right? Because we've seen that happen. And Urban Meyer doesn't look like he's he's made for the NFL. And I, I kind of almost hope for Trevor Lawrence's sake, he's one and done and get him out and get a different coach in there, get a good young coordinator, you know, from the NFL, you know, maybe Eric Bieniemy gets a shot, maybe Kellen Moore, who I think is fantastic for Dallas, you know, Joe Brady's going to be at the top of every single list, you know, get Joe Brady's scheme and get him to, you know, Jacksonville or get him to Chicago, get Kellen Moore to one of those places, get Eric Bieniemy trying to implement Andy Reid's offense and maybe not fail at it like Matt Nagy has. Like, you know, there's, you know, maybe Josh McDaniels finally takes another job. We've been hearing that, you know, dog and pony show for like six years now, seven years. But we, you got to hope that the Meyer system doesn't ruin Trevor Lawrence. You got to hope that the offensive line and the coaching doesn't ruin Justin Fields. And you got to hope that the just lack there of supporting cast with Zach Wilson doesn't ruin him before these guys even get an opportunity to develop into the players we think they could be, right? Because we soar. Look at, look at, and I'm not saying he's going to be a top 10 quarterback or anything, but just look how much Sam Darnold looks better in Carolina than he ever did for the Jets. Better coaching, better scheme, better supporting cast. And all of a sudden, he doesn't look like the complete bust that he looked at for the Jets for his entire tenure there. That's Wait a second. Hold on. Hold on. I know you didn't think he was a bust in, in the Jets. There was no, I know because we've had these discussions. You and I were both sitting on that fence of disbelief that we weren't quite sure he was going to be bust. Now, I don't, I don't know if he had, we had thought this, but I thought we knew that there was a possibility this could occur. Am, am I wrong? I mean, I feel like it was, that was the consensus thought across the community. Jeff, what are you thinking? I don't know if it's a consensus thought across the community. I mean, I think it wasn't in New York. I think New York, <laughs> New York's brutal. New York thought he was a, a horrendous quarterback and he was finished. I think well, the, there the was strong the Sam Darnold narrative, support. right? Yeah. You know, um, at least in the fantasy community, you had the Adam Gase narrative going on. Um, and, and so maybe that's kind of what you're talking about. Just, just get him out outside of Adam Gase. 
So I think there were plenty of people who did want to see him, you know, find a new space. But even then, I, the the Panthers gave up a pretty decent haul for him, a two, a four, and a six, I believe, right? We were talking about that. And we were also talking about how that kind of seemed like a little bit of a lot too. You know, I don't know that, you know, we were saying Carolina should use their their picks for one of the 2021 class players. And they actually seems like right now in this, this very moment, week three, it actually seems like a pretty wise use of, of draft capital is to go pick up Sam Darnold and invest in. If you weren't able to get the Trevor Lawrence, they had Justin Fields. So I still think that was a mistake, but um, looking at it on week three, it wasn't too, too bad of a decision. So, you know, I, I don't know that it was a, a no brainer. I do think there were some doubters for Sam Darnold out there. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the people who love Sam Darnold coming out of college, I think still were willing to give him an opportunity. I know Daniel Jeremiah was very high on him. Mel Kuyper was very high on him. Todd McShay was very high on him. I mean, Mel Kuyper was all over, and Todd McShay were all over their podcast leading up to the draft last year saying the Jets shouldn't have drafted a quarterback because they thought Darnold was better than, you know, Darnold's talent was as good as anybody in the draft not named Trevor Lawrence. So they, they were like – build up the line, get him a playmaker, et cetera, et cetera. And now, you know, we're seeing how much coaching, supporting cast, scheme, all that impacts these guys, which is why I'm still I'm still keeping the light on for Daniel Jones. Uh, he has shown some progress this year, and he has, not been, he has not been put in a conducive situation his entire career. The offensive line's been horrendous. The coaching offensive minds have been horrendous. I mean, Pat Shermer was pretty solid for him that first year or so. Uh, but the last couple, the last two years, Jason Garrett, horrendous play calling, horrendous scheme. You know, it just shows you just how much it does matter, uh, the supporting cast. I think it's just not talked about enough. Uh, if I go rapid fire here at some other rookies this week, Najee Harris couldn't get anything going on the ground, but saw 19 targets and had 14 catches for 110, 102 yards, just showing that Roethlisberger is toast and he's going to check down a lot. So Najee Harris is going to just by default put up an RB1 season this year. Uh, Javante Williams, listen, I like Javante Williams, but right now he is just stuck in a middling timeshare that makes this year – I don't know if he's going to have a year where, like, I don't think this is going to be the Jonathan Taylor rookie year that by the end of the year we're looking at Javante Williams as like, oh, this guy's going to be a first-round pick next year. I don't know if we're going to know that because I do think that Melvin Gordon's Melvin Gordon's not finished, right? He's not what Todd Gurley was. Melvin Gordon's still got some juice. He's still a good player. He's not a great player anymore, but he's still a solid above-average running back, which is going to hold back Javante Williams. Um Kyle Pitts right now just not being utilized enough. That Atlanta offense looks broken if we're talking about schemes and usages. And Matt Ryan looks like he's really regressed and unwilling to throw the ball down the field. Uh, one tight end I will say go by right now is Pat Fryermuth. He's already slowly taking over that job. They will upgrade the quarterback next year. But we've seen there's no reason Pat Fryermuth can't become in the world of where we are with Logan Thomas and Tyler Higby's of the world. He's got as much talent as those guys, if not more talent. He can be on the same stratosphere of what Hunter Henry was when Hunter Henry was on the Chargers, right? In that tight end six to tight end nine world in terms of overall. 
Fryermuth has that skill set to be in that range of players. And I think he probably went for like a late second round rookie pick or an early third round rookie pick. So he's definitely available. I'd go get him now before he starts putting up consistent production. At the wide receiver position, Jamar Chase, they haven't even unleashed Joe Burrow. They've been taking it very slow with the amount of passes. And all Jamar Chase is doing is catching multiple touchdowns here and there. I mean, he when they unleash that offense when, when they're ready to, Jamar Chase is just going to be absolutely who we thought he was going to be. Uh, Devonta Smith, the inconsistencies of Jalen Hurts has been holding him back. Jalen Waddell, please start using him down the field. 12 catches for 58 yards. Like, I had to, like, double-check that I was reading the right thing. Like, I mean, two is not a – you know, right now, even when two was there, they weren't pushing him all vertically down the field. Now with two out, definitely not. I know they're trying to just get him the ball, which is I, – I commend them for doing that because the next two guys, Rondell Moore needs more touches, stop with the A.J. Green, and Kadarius Toney. I mean, for the love of God. You lost your number two and number three wide receiver the other day, and he still only had two touches. They were good touches. You saw some of his movement and his movement skills and his ability to make people miss in space. And please get him the ball. If Sterling Shepard's out this week and he's your starting slot receiver, get him the ball. And Arizona, it's malpractice if Rondell Moore doesn't touch the ball five to six times a game, bare minimum. Like, Get these guys the ball in space. Put them in situations to succeed. So, Matt, I'll come over to you first. Anything from what I talked about, the running backs, Harris, Javante Williams, Kyle Pitts, Pat Fryermuth, any of the wide receivers. One thing of those guys that stands out, one guy you want to bring up. It's going to be hard for you know Kadarius Tony to emerge from the shadow of Colin Johnson and his performance this past <laughs> weekend. But, but uh, let's just assume he can. We'll assume that there's an opportunity. Um, you all laugh, you all laugh, but I'm telling you, there's a love affair brewing. Okay. Darren Waller gets 30 targets a game. Colin Johnson gets 30 targets a game. Um, <laughs> but I, I do think, I do think, I do think Kadarius, Tony, I do think Rondell Moore, I'll just, I'll, I'll leave it there with those two guys. I, I do think you're right, Paul. I think hundred percent. Um, I, I do think they have to continue to get touches because your point relative to Jalen Waddle, I think is, is 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 malpractice just from just from the standpoint of you know overall organizational efficiency what you spent on the players what you you know spent in capital to make them a part of in your team to not use them and not to utilize them in in a way that allows you to get clarity on their role on your team too is is just silly I mean, it just does not make sense. I mean, it, it reminds me of the situation where I, I can imagine Kadarius Tony being traded at the end of the year, like Lynn Bowden was with like, you know, the Raiders. And they were just like, I'm done. And the guy never made it really out of like, you know, training camp. And I know that's a far-fetched story, but you get my point. What are you waiting for? And what are you looking for? I'm not quite sure. Even in the most inept situation, even in the most worst case scenario, I cannot imagine him not getting touches on screen passes on a consistent basis. I just don't get why or why not. And and he showed in that game the ability to make some catches through some tough situations and still be able to make the play. I I you have nobody to throw to. Why why are these guys not getting 
these touches. I mean, at Rondell Moore, again, the specter of Kristen Kirk is still looming. So I get why Rondell Moore um, doesn't do it. But I mean, Rondell Moore and Christian Kirk basically occupy very similar spaces tactically in those playbooks. So I, I understand a little bit of that there, maybe that you're swinging back and forth. But I don't understand overall why those guys are not getting their due diligence and their due touches that they need because for sure they have an opportunity and should be helping their teams right now. Yeah. I mean, the giants have one of the most putrid offenses in football and it's been that way for years and years. And you have an explosive playmaker at some point say, we got to give him eight to 10 touches today and see if he can jumpstart and spark our offense because nothing else is working. It's because we're 0-3 record. and you might as well? Like you might as well? You're 0-3? <laughs> I mean, it's not like you're preserving your wild card berth by keeping him there. Nope. Nope, you're not. Do you have any, any thoughts real quick on any of the rookies before I take it to the last segment? So Jamar Chase, awesome to see him hit the end zone all of these games, just I think four touchdowns on the year now Um, because of that, he's going to be extraordinarily expensive. Jalen Waddle. Like I know you're want to get him down the field. Jacoby Brissett might not be the guy to get the ball to him down the field, but getting him 13 targets, just getting the ball in his hand. Cause Waddle's one of those guys that can break a slant to the house for 80 yards and he can break a screen. So, you know, I know that got them a safety, uh, which is, you know, that, that, that was kind of a questionable call time to, to make that call, but I love getting the ball in Waddle's hands. He's extremely involved in that offense and that is phenomenal to see. And he's somebody you could probably go get because he hasn't been, um, I mean, he's been involved, he's been there, but he hasn't been doing, you know, he hasn't been celebrating his touchdown dances in the end zone the same way you've been seeing with Jamar Chase. So I think you can go get Waddle on your team and, and, you know, maybe that'd be after, after Ayuk kind of came back and we saw Ayuk and that, that might be my next target is to go, go see if I could find some Waddle shares. Yeah. I mean, listen, I think buying stock on guys who are off the slow starts from the rookies makes a lot of sense, right? Like think about this. Kadarius Tony was falling so far in rookie drafts. Now he's done nothing for a couple of weeks. Giants look lost, have no idea how to use him. You may even be able to get him cheaper than when he was going, and he was already going way too low. I you give know, you Rondo- a fourth-round pick, Paul, for him right now. <laughs> Rondell Moore, Moore has another game or two. I know he had a good week, too. It was mostly one big broken play. They were finding ways to get him the ball the first two games. So I, I think I think the Cardinals will find ways to use Rondell Moore, way better than the Giants are going to use Kadarius Tony. But if Rondell Moore has a couple ho-hum games – after this one, I think the door's open to go maybe get him at it for, for a good price. Don't forget about Rashad Bateman. He's scheduled to come off IR soon. He's a guy that should be on your radar. Let's see how he, and he might not translate right away, right? That offense in terms of their pass offense, kind of shaky. He's a rookie, but maybe a couple poor games to start his career might open the door to try to go by him as well. So keep an eye on, check in with these owners frequently. See, make sure they're valuing them as they should. So, Let's take this to the last segment of the night, the Dynasty Fantasy Report. Uh, these were my big ticket things from this past weekend. One, maybe it's time to start pulling the reins back a little bit on where we immediately place rookies in terms of overall Dynasty rankings. Because especially the quarterbacks, 
and even some of the skill players as well, because we know people don't pan out all the time. Yet when we first rank these guys, we rank them as they are going to pan out with no, really no placement for them to fail, right? We're already putting them over guys who are we know are proven entities just solely based on like upside and potential and not baking in the downside or risk enough. And I, I am, I'm liable to do this too. And, you know, part of this is self-evaluating next year. I'm going to do a little bit different, you know, in terms of incorporating the next year's rookies into it. It might take a little bit more of a conservative approach. And I'm not saying don't go youth, but you can go youth of guys who have proven themselves more than straight rookies. And I think that's something we kind of automatically assume all these guys are going to pan out and a lot of them don't. So that was one big thing in terms of individual players. These were my big four biggest movers this past weekend after watching the games. Cooper Cup has to shoot up to the top 15 of any wide receiver dynasty rankings. And if he's not, I think people are just don't understand. One, his game's going to age pretty well. His, his game's going to age well based on how good of a route runner he is. Two, Matthew Stafford has totally opened the door for a different type of player. And he's unlocked the keys to the kingdom here. And this guy's probably going to be a top five wide receiver this year in fantasy. And I could see him having a stretch of like three years where he's a top 10, top 12 guy. I think he needs to be in top 15s at least. And I think even I moved him to 15 and I can easily get him to 11 or 12 if I wanted to. And I might get them there once I fine tune some things. Mike Williams, he's all the way into the top 20, top 24. He's got to be. At this point, I think the gap is it's closing in on where I have him and Keaton Allen ranked. And another week or two of this, I may have to flip-flop them because maybe Mike Williams has finally put it all together. He's still got youth on his side concerning a little bit that he's a free agent. Now I want him locked in with Justin Herbert for the foreseeable future. I don't want him to be one of those guys that switches teams because I think while it hurts my Josh Palmer shares, I think Justin Herbert and Mike Williams could be a dynamic duo for a while. Matthew Stafford, I think, has to move up dynasty rankings. I think him paired with Sean McAvey, I think they're going to make beautiful music together is what they're doing already. And I don't think that's going to stop anytime soon. I think we're going to see Matthew Stafford have a close to his career that is better than any stretch he had prior to him being there. And he's still a relatively young guy for quarterback speak, for quarterback age. And then the other way, Clyde Edwards-Galaire has to go down rankings. He's got to be out of top 10s. He can't be in top 10s. He can't be in top 12s anymore. He just can't. He's, he has shown nothing And besides the fact that he played in the Chiefs offense, if he was on the Giants, if he was on the Jets, if he was on the Patriots, nobody would be ranking him where they are. People want him to be Brian Westbrook because that's the comp that people that I think Andy Reid or Patrick Mahomes use. He's not. He's not translated like we all expected Clyde Edwards Hilaire to do. They've not made him an integral part of the passing game. And I don't blame them. Patrick Mahomes doesn't want to check down. He doesn't need to check down. You don't want Patrick Mahomes throwing two-yard passes. So Clyde Edwards-Hilaire on the Chiefs is never going to be a 60 to 80 catch guy. He's just not going to be. 
So his va- his value would have to come in touchdowns. But the Chiefs are so creative near the goal line. They don't just they're not a traditional team that they're just going to run it in. They do those flip passes. They do the end the rounds. So he's just not reaching what we thought. And I know it gets really ugly in dynasty rankings, but I had him before the season started ahead of older guys like Derrick Henry, Ezekiel Elliott, Aaron Jones. I had him ahead of Nick Chubb because I was concerned about the committee, which I still am. But all of those guys, all of those guys are now over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for me. And I, I still think Ezekiel Elliott's borderline a above average to good running back and no longer great. I think he's much more in the David Montgomery, Chris Carson talent level now than what we used to see. But even so, he's still got such a pristine thing right now in Dallas. I think he has to be over Clyde Edwards-Hilaire as well. So Clyde Edwards-Hilaire went the other way there. Jeff, you don't have to talk about the guys I talked about. If you want to chime in on any of them, if you want to chime in on the rookie discussion that I said, anything in terms of dynasty, the floor is yours. Rapid fire thoughts. So uh, one of my favorite wins to favorite ways to win in dynasty, or at least the easiest one I found is to trade away your ro- hyped rookie picks for established producing players. Now it's not, it's a lot less fun because I love drafting talent and watching that grow on my roster is blossom. So it's a little less fun, but it, it's a lot easier to win that way. <laughs> um Cooper cup already has a top five wide receiver season under his belt. 2019, Mike Williams, if he was locked up long-term, if if he was to get an extension tomorrow, he would rank above Keenan Allen for me uh, in, in dynasty ranks. I think it, the, his Lumen free agency is the only thing keeping him from, uh, up from going above Keenan Allen right now for me. And that seems like something that's more than likely going to happen. Um AJ Brown's a good buy low candidate right now. A little bit hurt, you know, m- might be dealing without him. Slow start to the season, couple drops. He's going to be fine. Go get him. Mike Kosicki had 12 targets. Very interesting difference between uh, Tua and Brissett, but something I'm keeping an eye on. Stock up, OBJ, stock up, DeAndre Swift, and maybe stock down on LaVisca Chenault, Paul. Something yeah. maybe we could talk about in a week or two. Um, but He's not being used the way I think we you, we kind of had expected, and he's kind of stuck back into last year's role, that Travis Etienne role. Yeah, I, I, the LaVisca Chenault, I'm, I'm going to take an L on in every form of fantasy this year. Redraft, best ball, uh, you know, FFPC, everything. Because I really did think he was going to merge into a complete wide receiver there and be one of the focal points of that offense. And they're just not using him that way. They have three wide receivers. They are all similar in their overall talents. They have different skill sets and different talents, but they're not really emphasizing any more than the other. So I think he probably has to, and I I did move him down a little bit in my ranks uh, when I, when I shuffle things around uh, I agree with you. DeAndre Swift is a guy who who, who moved up for me. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned him. I agree with you on Mike Williams. If he gets that contract extension, I think uh, I think he pushes into that 15 to 17 range, and I bring down Keenan Allen a little bit. Um, you know, and and obviously I talked about Cooper Cup. Matt, any thoughts on any of those guys or any other names that you would kind of throw out there as guys that you would maybe want to go buy in Dynasty or stock up, stock down? I concur on everything that was said. No, no. I, I, the only thing I would add to that is 
two players to continue to burn a candle for them, and we've talked about them in jest. I, I think there are players to just stick on the end of your bench. These are not players I would I would worry about dumping um, at a moment's notice. However, I, I would still go ahead and throw at the end of my bench if you have it. I would still keep the likes of Jarrett Patterson and Tylen Wallace there. I still like those guys. They haven't gotten any opportunities. Um, Jared Patterson had a great preseason, hasn't really gotten any opportunity to burn in the regular season, but there's a lot to speculate that he is the backup for Antonio Gibson. And that would be nice. Tylen Wallace. I was hoping for sure he would have gotten some burn with all these wide receiver injuries. He did not, which tells me he is doomed to a special teams role for at least this season. Um, but he is a guy that you might want to stash on your bench towards the end of this season. Brian Edwards, we keep burning the Brian Edwards candle. I like Brian Edwards. Brian Edwards keeps making big catches. He's going to get more targets. Plain and simple. You win games with him, he will get more targets. So this is probably where we can officially start saying that window is beginning to frame out. And I don't know if it's closing yet, but it's certainly beginning to frame out um, as he continues to have week after week big catches and big moments for that team. It's only going to be a matter of time before you know Nelson Aguilar last year was a league winner for some people, as their third wide receiver. So we don't really know where the bulk of those targets are going to go yet. We know Darren Waller's the big man. He still is the big man. But where is that secondary target? Do we really know for sure? Because I would argue we really don't yet. So I'm interested to see who that guy will be. And I'm not sold it's the running backs, and I'm not sold it's Henry Ruggs. I'm still burning the candle that it might be Brian Edwards. So hold on to him. And stash Donovan People Jones at the end of your bench. Yeah, I mean, I would, I would, I would definitely say now's the time to go get Brian Edwards because I think as the year builds, it's going to be harder and harder to get Brian Edwards. And right now, Derek Carr is playing the best football of his career. I think he continue if he continued this, he'd be in the MVP mix. I don't think he'd win it, but I think he'd be in the mix. You know, so was Matt Stafford, who I mentioned before. But, I mean, you're always looming against the Tom Brady's of the world and the Aaron Rodgers and, you know, Patrick Mahomes and, you know, Kyler Murray. You know, there's a lot of great quarterbacks who are going to be tough to to beat. But, I mean, Derek Carr has been a red-hot start to his season. Brian Edwards is building a rapport with him. The coaching staff is starting to rely on Brian Edwards more. Now, similar to what I said about Pat Fryer earlier, now's the time to get these guys uh, you know, so it's going to be interesting. So always try to buy a little bit earlier than waiting too late, because when you wait too late, then you're going to have to, you know, you're going to have to kind of wait it out. And, you know, right now the Raiders are playing well. Uh, and then Jeff, you just mentioned it. Yeah. Carr had that year that he was in the MVP race for a while. Then he kind of dipped down and now we're kind of seeing him come back up and, you know, he's, he's playing the best I've seen him play. Like in terms of like just watching him play, he seems to be playing better now than he's ever played before. Uh, I think Gruden has a better feel for him now in terms of what he can and can't do. And I think they're putting, you know, people I know like to knock on John Gruden, but he still calls a really good game. I think he knows how to put players in positions to succeed. And I think he's starting to realize you know, what Brian Edwards can do. He's starting to realize that we talked like that Monday night game a couple of weeks ago, that you can't have an entire offense just built around throwing the ball Darren Waller 25 times a game. And he's maximizing Hunter Renfro, another 
player that Matt, apparently you should just be a Raiders fan. Give up the Giants. Give up the Giants. I don't blame you if you want to jump black off the and silver. Again. Go black and, and silver. And just be a AFC Vegas team. fan. You're a I mean, AFC team. I mean, be, be, a, be a Vegas fan. We have Hunter like the Ren- Tesla Ren- stadiums. I mean, Hunter Vegas. Renfro and Brian Edwards. I mean, they're like your best buds. Like, I mean, God forbid Colin Johnson gets to the Raiders. Oh, my God. Stop it. Stop Trade it. You Justin guys Fields. are just. I already, Justin Fields. Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, we're just talking. You guys are just talking absolute insanity. I mean, insanity. Sanity. So, so yeah. Now's the time. Go get your guys that you want. Buy low before you know. Uh, you know they peak, and then you have to pay. Paul, I, pay for them. Not to interrupt one more time, but I just wanted to leave you one last thought. I mean, it wasn't what Jeff. Jeff, you can attest this. What two years ago we could have gotten Mike Williams for a song. Yeah, yeah. For a song, I mean, you could have got Mike Williams as a throw-in for a, a decent trade, third round. Pick, like I mean, a decent second. player. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he even wasn't before even before this year. You probably could have got him for like an early to mid second at least. Yeah, you especially think. because because think and about two people, years ago, what was what was Cooper Cup going for? I'm saying two years ago, two years ago, he was going for a decent thing, but he wouldn't go. Now he's got to go for firsts. That yeah. wasn't the case with him. Multiple firsts, right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, listen, things change very quickly in the NFL and, and we see it. And I think we've talked about a couple guys tonight, not to give up on talent, right? Not to give up, you know, sometimes it takes longer. Sometimes it's injuries. Sometimes it's whatever. They finally get the quarterback that brings their best out of them. And I mean, we loved Mike Williams when he came out, man. And I, we had him ahead of Corey Davis. That was not a, he was that our was number not, one wide receiver. That, that was not a take that most people were in favor of. It was very much. Everyone had Corey Davis at one. And we were on here saying, no, we like Mike Williams. Like we think he could be a really, you know, we, we've seen him at, at Clemson be an impactful player, right? So, so you know, guys sometimes take longer. It's nice when, when they finally hit their stride and then, you know, get to, uh, you know, be the players that we thought they were going to be coming out of college. So there it is, guys. NFL Draft Report, Debbie Slant Report, NFL Rookie Report, and the Dynasty Fantasy Report for this week. Please, if you could help support the show, get over to the website. SS Football is the easiest way to get over to the website. Check out our premium content tab for $9.99. You get access to all three premium notebooks, the scouting notebook, all our player profiles, scouting reports. Our rankings notebook has all our rankings. I just did massive uh, updates to my dynasty rankings. We'll continue to tweak them as well. And then our Debbie rankings, draft eligible rankings, our dynasty rookie rankings. I'm updating last year. You know, I'll be updating the dynasty rookie rankings throughout this year. Uh, tiers after the season for the upcoming draft class as well. And then you get the draft projections notebook in April as well. Please, as we started the show, make sure if you have the means to, to get over to the GoFundMe page uh, and, and help support uh, the family of Mike Tagliere and anything you can donate will be greatly appreciated as well. And as Jeff mentioned, when we tweet this out, we will also make sure uh, we kind of attach to it the GoFundMe page as well. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of Jeff and our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday. <laughs>